All right. Um, welcome to Church on the Couch, uh, week 10. Um, apologies, we have no idea what happened. The video just decided it didn't want to keep going, and the audio kept going. And uh, that makes it really tough for Ryan to know when the song is over, because a lot of especially contemporary worship song loves to do this thing where we slide into a really quiet time and pretend like the song is almost over, but then we come back really hard, so we tricked you, uh, which definitely got Ryan and I when we started talking. Um, so welcome back. Apologies for technical difficulties, but you know, it is the nature of uh, working with live streaming, unfortunately. Um, I hope you got out yesterday to enjoy uh, some of the sun, and uh, perhaps, and I don't, want to, I don't want to say this too soon, but perhaps it seems like summer might be finally on the way. Um, and I don't want to say that too loud because I know that when you say summer is on the way, then generally you get like a couple feet of snow next week. Um, and I think we already had that once. So I think at this point we're past third winter. So after third winter usually comes uh, fake spring uh, and fake summer, and then we go back to regular spring, real summer. Uh, so uh, hopefully you got to enjoy some of that sun yesterday. And if it stays out today, maybe you'll get to enjoy some today. Uh, perhaps you've got your coffee and your tea ready with you and a Bible handy. If you don't have either one of those things, you can actually just go ahead and pause us uh, because it's all right. No one will ever know that you paused the pastor uh, mid-talk. Um, so go ahead and grab those if you need those now. Before we kick off, why don't we just open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for uh, revealing yourself uh, through creation through your word, through, through so many things to us. Lord, we thank you for the sunshine. And Father, we also thank you for the rain, the life-giving rains that come down. God, we thank you that you continue to provide for us uh, at all times, Lord, that you are always thinking of us. Lord, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for what you pour out on us. Lord, we just ask that you would be with uh, each person right now, Lord, be with them wherever they are. Lord, if they're dealing with uh, loneliness or if they're dealing with uh, anxiety or if they're just dealing with uh, keeping afloat in the midst of a really weird time and culture. Father, today would you wrap your arms around them? Would you remind them that whoever they are, wherever they are, that they are loved? Lord, that you are with them, you are beside them, you have not forgotten us. Even in the middle of a pandemic, you haven't forgotten us. Lord, we just ask that today you would speak to us, Lord, your spirit would speak to us and through us, uh, and Lord, uh, may the message today be something that, uh, that glorifies you, Father, and points us to you. We just thank you for your work, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're looking at <clears throat> the last saying in our series of Trustworthy Sayings of Paul. Uh, I'm going to start with reading it, but if you know... If you've been keeping up and you know uh, the trustworthy sayings, you'll know that the first three we found in 1 Timothy. Uh, last week, the fourth one, we found in 2 Timothy. As so this final one, the final trustworthy saying of Paul is actually in the letter to Titus. So if you have your Bible, you can flip with me to Titus chapter 3. And I'm actually going to read uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And on today I'm going to read it from the NRSV. So if you got it, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. So it says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us 
not because of any work or righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure. And I desire you to insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. After a first and then a second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions, since you know that such a person is perverted and sinful, being self-condemned. That's Titus 3, 1 to 11. Now, uh, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And, and I found that with most of these trustworthy sayings that the, there is so much truth in, in the verses before and after and there's so much truth just surrounding even the one or two sentences of the trustworthy sayings that y- we could preach entire series on each of these trustworthy sayings. And I hope you heard the phrase in there where it says, this saying is sure. Yours might say something a little bit different if you're not using the NRSC. It might say, uh, this is a trustworthy saying, or of this you can be certain, uh, or some variant of that. Those are all variations of the phrase that we have, I'm about to say, and you believe it. You can rest on it. This is truth. This is another one of the sayings, though. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see that this is another one of the sayings where there's a little bit of a disagreement about what saying is sure and trustworthy. There's a little bit of a disagreement among scholars about what exactly the words this saying is sure and trustworthy applies to. I believe it was the the third of our trustworthy sayings were the same thing, that not all scholars uh, agreed on it. Uh, And see, some scholars in this instance, some scholars think that the the words this saying is sure uh, apply to the following verses. So that would mean they apply to verse 9 and 10 uh, and 11. Some scholars say that's naturally where it should apply. But other scholars say, no, 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 actually, uh, the, the, the words, this saying is sure, apply to the verses 4 to 7, the, the preceding verses. Uh, it applies to those ones. Uh, personally, I fall in the, I believe it applies to the f- verses 4 to 7. And, and I think that because it makes a little bit more sense grammatically. Um, I would argue along some side scholars who say that the, the, this saying, this is a sure and trustworthy saying, usually applies to some type of a quote or some type of a phrase that's not Paul's, but it is truthful. And it is what Paul is appropriating or taking and saying, this is truth. This is something that we can stand on. And so it's not necessarily always Paul's words, but sometimes it's, or, or perhaps it's someone who Paul is quoting. And and verses 4 to 7 lend itself much better to a definition of a quote that doesn't seem like Paul's words. The following, verses 8 to 11, does seem like Paul's words. So today we're going to look at verses 4 to 7. And and if you're in disagreement, that's okay. Um, We're still going to look at verses 4 to 7. So verses 4 to 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of any work or righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the water of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, this Spirit He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure. 
Now, there's a lot of great material in there. And, and there's a couple of different points you can make, but there's one thing that pervades through these three verses. There's one thing that is either outright spoken or it is implied right in the very beginning. And the one thing that points out is in verse 7, that the thing that this, all of this points to is it says, so that having been justified by His grace. So justified by grace. Saved by grace. So you might have heard another common phrase, by grace alone. We're going to talk about grace today, what grace is, what the implications of grace are, or why we in the church talk about grace so much. A scholar um, who was talking about grace once said, when we use the term grace alone, what we mean is that our salvation from the wrath of God, our deliverance from the very pits of hell, is because of something good in God, and it's not because of anything good in us. Now that seems a little bit, some might seem that, 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 that seems a little bit off. You might be tempted to say, well, I, I disagree a little bit. I agree with the first part, I disagree. Um, you know, we, we like the part where it says uh, that there's good in God. We can all get on board with that and say that God is good. But some of us, we disagree. We say, well, I don't know about the saying there's no good in us. You know, but the thing is, is to say there is good in, uh, in us or that we are good, uh, as, as we're tempted to say, might imply that we're perhaps capable of doing this salvation thing on our own. If I'm capable of doing and being good all by myself, then it's possible to say that I could do this without Jesus. If I can be good all on my own, then I don't need Jesus. That's what this scholar is trying to say, that that's not possible, that we're not able to be good on our own. Paul makes that pretty clear here. It says God saved us. Essentially, God saved us, not because of any good or any works or any righteousness that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us because of his mercy. He saved us and he poured his spirit out on us through Jesus. So we are saved by grace. We're justified by grace. I mean, it's all right there. I think we can all agree that we would say God is good, but we really sometimes don't like that second part that he says, well, we're not good. But I, I, I had this argument in a, a theology class one time. We were, we were having a great discussion. And the analogy that I used, I think makes it pretty clear um, I don't think it went over as well in my theology class, but I think it makes it pretty clear. Uh, and so I'll share it here. So I, I'm, I'm not a bra- baker uh, at all. I can cook any type of meat. You put any type of meat, I can put it on a barbecue, I can make it taste great. But I can't bake to save my life. Um, and I don't bake ever. But if I baked, what if I baked and I made a batch of brownies? I made this really big batch of brownies, enough for everyone in the congregation to have, uh, and I brought enough for everyone, and we were all meeting a person. I said, everyone, I brought a bunch of brownies for everyone, and so I handed my brownies out to everyone, and I gave everyone a brownie, and, and you guys are all, I said, let's, let's eat these brownies together, and everyone went to take a bite of the brownie, and I said, oh, hold on, hold on, before you take a bite, do you want to know what's in it? And you would probably say, well, knowing that you can't bake, Luke, yeah, we do want to know what's in it. And so I said, well, I put in all the typical ingredients. I put in all the good stuff. I put in, um, you know, things like cocoa or chocolate. I'm sure there's supposed to be something like that in there. Um, some sugar. I put in sugar. I put in flour. Um, I put in some uh, baking powder. I don't know if baking powder goes in it, but it sounds like it does, so it goes in it. Uh, I put in uh, a little bit of salt. I know you're supposed to put in that. I put in all the stereotypical ingredients. Now, if those aren't the ingredients, then forgive me and don't eat any brownies ever that I make. But I put in all the right ingredients, and everyone says, wow, Luke, that, you know, that sounds great. I can't wait. I said, but I put in one secret ingredient. 
Everyone says, oh, what's your secret ingredient, Luke? And I'd say, well, um, I put in one little bit of one, one teaspoon, just a teaspoon and a half or two teaspoons of just the littlest bit of dog poo. Just the tiniest little bit of dog poo. Just a little bit. You won't even notice Say, I only put in a little bit of dog poo. You won't taste it. You can't smell it, obviously. Um, so it's probably fine. I just put that little bit in there. Now, knowing that I had put a little bit of dog poo in those brownies, would any of you still go, well, good, they're great, and want to take a bite? And would any of you, knowing that I had put just the littlest bit of, of poo in there, would any of you take a bite and then still go, yeah, that, these are great, I want seconds? Now, most of us, I hope, are saying, no, I'm not going to eat your dog poo brownies, Lucas. And I also know that most of you are now going to turn down invitations to my house for dinner, and it is what it is. But why would you, you know, why would you say, or why would you turn those brownies down? Why, after knowing that there's dog poo, would you turn those brownies down? You, you can't smell it. You can't taste it. Uh, there's not enough for you to be able to taste or smell it. Um, so, so why wouldn't you call them good? Why wouldn't you say, well, those are good brownies? Well, you wouldn't say they're good brownies because even though they might look great on the surface, they might smell great, and they might even taste great, you still know that there's a little bit of dog poo that taints the goodness of those brownies. So they're not necessarily good brownies. They might look and smell good on the surface, but underneath there's something that's not so good. There's something lurking underneath that's not so good. And see, so we agree that God is good, and I think that like the brownies, we as humans, we're not quite as good as we like to think we are. We're not quite as good as we look and smell on the surface. A lot of us, though, we think that being good, or we want to say we're good, because we think that being good is enough. We think we're capable of being good. Uh, we think that being good enough and capable of being good enough are things that are our goals to aim for. Um, I was just reading a survey of evangelical Christians, and it kind of shocked me, but did you know that 50% of evangelical Christians think that there are other ways to get into heaven besides Jesus? There are other ways to get into this heaven besides through Jesus. And that 34% of evangelicals will say that actually all good people will go to heaven. All good people go to heaven. You just have to be a good person and you go to heaven. That's 34% of evangelical Christians. Jesus makes it pretty clear, no one comes to the Father except through me. This idea that uh, 34% of evangelicals believe that all good people will go to heaven. You just have to be a good person and you'll get to heaven. It goes against a lot of what it says in Scripture. It goes against what we read in Titus. It goes against the idea that no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus' words. It also goes against Romans 3.10 where it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. There's no one righteous, Paul says. There's no one who really understands. And there's no one who's able to be good. There's no one who's good, not even one. See, this reality is important. Understanding that, um, that we're not able, first, we're not able to, to just be good enough to earn our own salvation, but also that just being good enough doesn't grant us salvation. Uh, it's important to understand that because unless we understand and grasp our true state as humans, unless we understand uh, what we really are as humans, we will never truly understand how amazing grace is. Unless we understand just how broken we are, we never see how beautiful grace is. 
we don't see how fallen apart we are, then we never be able to see how much we need grace. So what is grace? Well, some would say that grace, uh, some would define it as the unmerited favor of God. So the unmerited favor of God. Uh, I liked Reverend Ray Pritchard takes it in the next step. He actually says it's the contrary to merit favor of God. So he says it's not the unmerited, it's the contrary to merit. It's the opposite of what you deserve favor of God. God's grace or God's grace is that thing in him, that thing in God that causes him to reach out, to reach out to us guilty and sinful and broken and dirty people, us people who deserve punishment because we're, we're not living up to the standard he set for us, and to instead of showing us punishment, that grace reaches out and he showers us with love and kindness and affection. Instead of us showing us punishment, he shows us his love and adorns us. See, that definition of grace, looking at it that way, means that grace starts, or sorry, salvation starts with God. If, if grace is Him reaching out while we're broken, while we're dirty, while we're sinful, if grace is that thing that makes Him reach out and show us love, then that shows us salvation starts with God. God takes the first move. God takes that first step towards us. He initiates it. We might be responding, we might, we might see Him, we might take a step back, but it's God that takes this first step. It's God that works out our salvation. Grace means that everything we have is owed to Him. Everything we have is owed to God. Because of grace, we owe everything to God. God initiates our salvation. God initiates that first step. And most of the time, while God's taking his first step and the second step, we're so busy running away that we don't even realize he's taken 10 steps towards us. We're trying so hard to get away from, from the things in life that we don't realize God is running towards us. And see, grace is something that he freely gave us. We don't earn this grace by any means. Uh, our, our, our merits have earned us a punishment, if you will. Uh, and, and, and instead, God rewards us with grace. What does the Bible say about grace? Well, well the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us that grace is literally part of his character. It's part of who he is. It is, it is in his nature to show grace. It's a part of his very being. Grace is free. It's part of who he is to show us. If we, if we earned this grace, if we earned this, if we had to pay for it, if we had to, to do something to prove that we really deserve it, then it's not really true grace because, because true grace costs us nothing. True grace is a free gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 said, is, says it is the gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. Grace is the reason that Jesus came. John 3.16, which I'm sure we all know uh, off by heart, I think it's the first Bible verse we all remember, it says, so, so God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. He loved us so much that he sent his son. It's pretty clear there. It doesn't say he was obligated. He had to send his son. You know, he had to send his son uh, because it was set out in this, you know, 12-step plan. Um, it says he loved us so much that he sent his son. He loved us so much that he wanted to send his son. Jesus wasn't obligated to come. There was no one or anything that forced Jesus to come, but he was sent. God sent him. Because grace is a part of God's very nature. It's part of who he is. That's why Jesus was sent to die for you and I, because grace is part of who he is. That's just him. 
God can't act uh, in contrary to his nature, so God acts with grace because grace is part of who he is. Now, what are the implications of grace then? If we're talking about grace, and then if we're justified by grace, or we're saved by grace and grace alone, and grace is a free gift from God, one we can't earn, one we can't, uh, you know, merit for ourselves. If this is what grace is, then what does that mean for us? What are the implications of being saved by grace or justified by grace? Grace is free, and we start with grace, and we're saved by grace. What grace means that we can stop trying to be confident in our own abilities to be good enough. Stop trying to be confident that we're able to be good enough. We can stop trying to think, I can do this. I have the strength to win this battle. I have the strength to overcome. We can stop thinking things like this, and instead we can say, uh, I can't do this, but God can. Uh, I don't have the strength for this battle, but God will strengthen me for this battle. I don't have the strength to overcome, but God is the overcomer. So we can stop trying to be confident in our abilities, and instead we can be confident in God and who He is. We don't place our confidence to do in us. Instead, we place our confidence to do in God. Every week I get up on stage and I get ready to just absolutely butcher a sermon. I get up on stage ready to just make no sense to anyone, to fumble over each one of my words, to to slur words, to lose my focus and and lose my train of thought. And every week I get up there ready to do that. And, And so I don't trust that I'm able to do a good job at all. Truthfully, I don't trust that I'm able to do this job at all. But I do trust that God will do a good job through me. I do trust that God's Spirit will speak through me. That even when I, when I, every week when I walk off and I go home and I tell Janice, well, I think I did a terrible job there. I butchered that one. Uh, I even know when I say that every week, I know that God will still be able to do something with it. I know and I have confidence that God will still do His best with, with what little best I can offer. So I don't have confidence in my abilities, but instead I have confidence in God's abilities. In fact, sometimes when I walk off and I think, yes. I killed that one. I did quite well today. I spoke unusually well. I I put all of my words together. Everything made sense. I had three points, and they all started with B, so everything was wonderful and perfect, and what a great sermon. When I walk off and I feel like that after a sermon, I can usually tell that within two or three days, I'm going to have a few emails just telling me how terrible it really was. See, when I trust in my abilities, I forget to trust in God. And so grace means that I can, I can stop having to be confident in my abilities, and instead I can be confident in God's abilities. I can place my confidence in Him. The second thing that is, is, is important to know about grace, or the second implication of grace being a free gift, is that grace means we don't have to prove ourselves to God. Grace is free. We don't have to do anything to earn that grace. It's not as if God will take away that grace if we, if we slip up and make a mistake. God doesn't say, oh, oh nope, that's two mistakes. No more grace for you. Take it away. Right? It's not, it's not the, soup, uh, the soup guy from Frasier. He doesn't take it away and say, no soup for you. Uh, he doesn't do that. God shows us grace and just says, there it is. Here's grace. It's free. And it will always be there. And I will always be there to show you grace. So we don't have to keep trying to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to keep trying to prove or earn His love and His affection. Grace is free. We can stop trying to earn it. 
We don't have to prove that we are good enough to deserve it because truthfully, we're not good enough to deserve it and we won't be good enough to deserve it. And that's what makes grace so beautiful. The third implication of what grace means or, or to be saved by grace and grace alone means that grace means we can serve God and we can love God without fear. Uh, one of the biggest fears, I think, in our world is of not being good enough. We have this massive fear that we're not good enough. We aren't sure we're good enough for our spouse. Maybe we're not sure we're good enough for our husband or good enough for our wife. Maybe we're not sure that we're good enough parents. Maybe we're not sure that we are good enough at our job or good enough for our friends. And a lot of times, I think the world tells us that we're not good enough. I think one of the enemy's biggest messages in this world to us is that you are not good enough and you'll never be good enough. But grace means that we can stop being afraid that we're not good enough. In applying for lead pastor here, I was actually I was afraid I wasn't, um, I'm afraid I wasn't good enough. Uh, I was afraid that I didn't have enough education. I didn't have enough uh, initials after my name on my email. I was afraid I didn't know uh, or have enough Bible verses memorized. I was afraid I didn't have enough nice suits. But see, God, with God, because grace is free and grace is a, a gift from Him, uh, we don't have to be afraid that we aren't enough because God loves us in the state that we are right now. We don't have to be afraid that, uh, that we can't be good enough or that we aren't enough for God because God sent His Son because He loved us in the state that we're in. Because grace is free, God accepts us on the basis of Jesus. He doesn't accept us on the basis of our own works. Our grace is earned on the basis of Jesus and what he did. Paul says that he pours out his spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ. That's what this verse says. He pours his spirit out on us richly through Jesus. So that we're accepted on the basis of him and not on the basis of what I've done, not on the basis of what I've earned. When God looks at us, we can all relax a little bit. and He doesn't look at you and see all of your mistakes. He looks at you as his beloved sons and daughters. He looks at you as his beloved children. God's pleased with you. God is pleased with you. I think that's a message we need to hear sometimes. God is happy with you. God loves you. God's not trying to break you down and hurt you and punish you all the time. God's looking at you and he sees his beloved son and his beloved daughters. We can serve him and we don't have to be afraid that we aren't good enough because through Jesus, we're all made good enough. Through grace, we're all made good enough. We're not good enough on our own, but through Jesus we are. The fourth implication of grace or grace being free and saved by grace means that grace takes the pressure off us thinking it's up to us to save the world. And I think as Christians, at some part, a lot of us are guilty of thinking this. I think we think that it's up to us to save the world. We, we see the Great Commission to go out and baptize and preach and share the gospel. We see that and go, okay, so it's up to me. I got to save the world. You know, I used to feel really pressured. Like if I didn't, uh, if I didn't evangelize or witness to my friends properly, uh, then they were going to spend eternity without God, and that was my fault. If I didn't preach perfectly every Sunday, then people would never come to know Jesus. They would never come to know God, and that would all be my fault, that I didn't save everyone. But then I realized that I wasn't thinking properly. I realized I was thinking that somehow we initiated salvation. I forgot that God makes the first move. My salvation is God making that first move. God takes the initiative. It's God who does the saving, not me. See, it's God's Spirit who calls out to people. It's God's Spirit who does the saving. It's not me. It's not the other pastors. We don't save anyone. We're not able to save anyone. Only God does the saving. 
With that mindset, then realizing that, that, that it's not all of salvation or all of history, people, people meeting Jesus doesn't depend just on me. I can take some of that pressure off. And when I do a really terrible job at witnessing, I say all the wrong words to my friends, I, I can take the pressure off knowing that God will do something with that still. God will still be able to do something with what I did. When I do a terrible job preaching, when none of, this, none of the words make sense, when the thoughts don't make sense, I can walk away and go, well, I didn't do a very good job and I tried my very best, um, but I know God will still be able to do something with that. I know God will still be able to work with what I've given him. God will still be able to save people because it's God who does the saving and not me. You know, this isn't to say that you don't have to do anything. This isn't to say we also just sit here and wait and do nothing. We are called to tell people about God's grace and His kindness and His mercy. We are called to take the gospel and to spread it and to show love and kindness. We are called to serve people and to go. But we can go with a mindset that says, I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to trust that God does the saving work. I'm going to do my best and realize that it doesn't rest on my shoulders because my shoulders aren't big enough. But it does rest on God's shoulders, and His shoulders are plenty big enough. Only God can change the human heart. Not me, not you. Ephesians 2.8 does tell us that by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. See, grace or, or, or salvation is not through ourselves. It's not something that we've worked to clean up our life and get better, and then we've somehow earned it. But I think many times we, we try all of our lives with that mindset. We try all of our lives to be good enough to earn and deserve that grace. Um, but we have to realize that we're never capable of being that good enough. We can't do it alone. That's why grace exists. That's why grace is amazing. I think sometimes we think that we have to first be good enough. We have this sinful life, this terrible life that we, we know is not right. So we have to first be good enough. We have to clean up our act. We have to get better. We have to be a better person. And then God will save us. So, so we... We are worse sinners, we clean it up, we get better, we become a better person, and then once we are good enough, God will save us. But that's not how grace works. That's not how God works. The reality is that we are dirty and we are messed up and we are broken and we are sinful and we are all these things, and God says, I'm going to save you just like that. I'm going to come to you right as you are right now. I'm going to save you because I love you there. And then he'll walk along a road with us to help clean ourselves up. He'll walk us along this road just like, just like a father teaching his son or daughter how to walk, holding our hands the whole way. We're still going to stumble. We're still going to fall on that road. And he'll pick us back up and say, it's okay, keep going. I got you. I'm right here. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace. See, if you want to be saved by works, if we want to try our whole lives to be good enough, uh, then have at it. Good luck. Go to Sunday school, get baptized, give all of your money, uh, constantly volunteer in soup kitchens and at youth group, uh, live by the golden rule, be a an amazing citizen, follow the Ten Commandments all the time, never ever break them, give to the United Way, give to the CBM, follow all of that, do all of those things, but in the end you're going to be sadly disappointed because that's not how grace works. That's not how God works. But if we want to be saved by God's grace, if we want to be saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, that grace that is poured out on us through Him, then just cling to Jesus. Just cling to Jesus and trust in Him and Him alone. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to work out uh, this idea that we can earn our salvation. 
God is the only one who is truly good enough. God is the only one. God is the one who saves us, not the other way around. God is the only one who is truly good. And that's why it's good news that grace is free for you and grace is free for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. Jesus, thank you that while I was still a sinful, broken, messed up human being, your grace told you to come to me. Your grace sent, sent, sent your spirit to me, Lord. You, you came to me just as I was. Lord, by your nature, you reach out to us in, with grace and you show love and kindness and affection and mercy to us in our broken, despondent states. You reach out to us. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to be good enough because, because of you, I am good enough. I can stop trying to impress and stop trying to prove and earn my salvation, but I can remember that it's from you. I can remember because of you, I can stop trying to do it all myself. Father, teach us to have our confidence in you. Teach us to trust in you, not in ourselves. Lord, remind us we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that we are not good enough. But we can trust that, Lord, you made us good enough. Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for this free gift of grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you currently and constantly do in our lives that remind us of that grace and of that love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.